um, you know, I really feel I'm here at a very specific time in God's plan. Um, it seems like every time I come, it's kind of like that. And last year when I was here, I think it was more for me than it was for you because we were going through such a difficult time as a church. And you know, sometimes churches go through difficult times. We don't like to talk about it, but it happens because churches are made up of imperfect people besides the pastor. But uh, <laughs> now you see the pastor sometimes is uh, the most obvious that we all need God's grace. And um, when a church is going through turbulent times, it can also be a very special time because things are purged, priorities are set anew. We get to do things that we so often push, push aside, and that's namely reflect on what are we doing and why are we doing it. And I know I've been talking with Pastor John for, well, we talk regularly every three, four months. We don't talk once a month, but every three or four months, uh, we talk on the phone and we share very openly what he's going through, what I'm going through. So I've always felt a part of the process of what has gone on in this church. Like I said in the beginning of the service, for those who come late, um, you know, I'll say it again. (laughs) Um, I was here when most of you weren't. I can see a few faces that were here about 36 years ago. And this was just a dream in our hearts to see a local church here in southern New England that would preach the word of God, preach the word of faith. And my life had been radically changed through the power of God's word and his promises. And so many of my friends and those around me had had their lives changed. And we were praying and asking God for a pastor. You better be careful when you pray because God does answer prayer, but usually in a way you didn't expect it. He sent a Sam. That was not what we expected. Now, I am one of the many sons of Sam. I was ordained by Pastor Sam in 1982. That's a long time ago. I've been over 31 years now a pastor. So um, that's why I've got so much gray hair. Usually at 40 years old, you don't have so much gray hair. <laughs> I was 15 when he ordained me. But no, no. Here I am lying again. Oh, my gosh. See, pray for the pastors. Um, And in all those years of ministry, this church has always been a vital part for my wife, for myself, for our family as home base. We were not only raised up here, we were ordained here. This has been our home and will always be our home. And through the years, as things change and progress, because life changes and it progresses, we've been apart, even though we've been far away in Germany, We've always borne on our hearts what's going on here. We've prayed for you. Um, We've thanked God for you. Faith Christian Center is a church that love is building. If you didn't know that, you should know that. Sam used to say that all the time. And that's true to this day. The love of God. And sometimes we are pushed because we don't always understand that God is the God that takes away the old that he may establish the new. It's Hebrews Chapter 1. He takes away the old that he may establish the new. And um, I'm just talking now. We'll pray in a minute and it'll get serious. But um, we all, as human beings, do not like change. Did you notice that? 
We like it where it's predictable, comfortable, and we know what's going on. And then suddenly, either through circumstance or through God's divine intervention, something begins to change. And I want to talk about that change tonight. This church is in a transformation period. And sometimes, I have to be honest with you, we in the ministry don't have all the answers. Ah! We don't. You see, because we're not building the church. Jesus builds the church. And it's sometimes a very humbling thing, even a scary thing, to walk into transformation where you know it's God's plan, but you don't even really know where is he taking us. And yet, I believe God's begun to show me where he's taking us. How we get there, I don't got, I'm not that big. I don't got that, all, all those answers. But I believe I'm going to show you from the scriptures tonight where God's taking us. We're going through the very same thing, through different circumstances, through the very same thing. What started to be a, a church split a year ago, last year, has turned into the most wonderful blessing that my wife and I could ever imagine. The most painful process, but the most wonderful blessing. I had forgotten what unity felt like. You know what I mean by feel? Uh, I don't mean we gooey wish it, but I mean really, wow. I can trust, I can be transparent, I can share, I can, and that was a difficult thing. When you've been uh, um, wrongly accused and you've gone through difficult times and people have spoken lies and whatever, the natural tendency is to put up a wall and say, wait a minute, I'm going to protect myself. And God says, no. That's not how I build my church. My, build, my church is built on relationship. And relationship begins through the love of God. It hopes all things, believes all things. Love never gives up. And so I dove in for one more time. And what I'm experiencing now, I wish for this congregation. And we are now in an upswing from where we came really down low. And it's such a good place. Church is growing. In the last eight weeks, I've done seven weddings and 15 baby dedications. I got more new families coming into the church. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. Wonderful. So what's all this about Faith Christian Center? Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for your glorious presence in the house tonight. Thank you as we lifted our hearts to worship you. You have filled this room with your very presence and glory. Now speak to our hearts through your word. You know every one of us. You know what we need. This church needs a word. Every individual here needs to hear from you. So Father, I ask you to help me to speak simply and accurately. Give us wisdom and and insight into your ways and purposes for our generation. Transform us tonight. Let us see our lives from a different perspective. Let us see it through your eyes. We thank you. As we sung tonight, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I made a lot of notes. We're going to throw them all away. We're going to go right to the main scripture that I feel God wants me to go to. It's in Acts chapter 3. Now, this was real funny. Do you you want to hear a true story? Pastors don't normally tell the whole truth. (laughs) 
I'm just being honest with you. It's Wednesday night. Um, you know, this year has taken so much out of me, substance. Um, well, the first thing we did when we went through a difficult time, we opened the church seven days a week for prayer. And my wife and I were committed to be there. And from August 24th all the way till the end of January, six nights a week, my wife and I were in the church praying. Sometimes there was 25, 30 people, and sometimes it was my wife and I, and sometimes it was five of us, but we didn't care. And as the year turned and the things started getting better, we said, we're not going to let it off. We're not going to let go of this. And we still pray. The church is open every night of the week so we can come together to pray. It drew us back into the essence of prayer. And it took really literally seven days a week, sometimes 10, 12, 14 hours a day, and as we were, I was approaching coming here, all I could think about was coming and seeing mom. You know, let me just have a break. I need a break, Lord. And it was one last Friday night of prayer. And I had a bad attitude. Do you ever have a bad attitude? And I... <laughs> I, I went into the church. I told this to my own congregation on Sunday morning a week ago. So I'm not telling you anything I haven't already told them because I thought it was hysterical. I come into church. My first thought was, I'll be honest with you, I hope nobody comes tonight so I can go home early. <laughs> that's great, Pastor. <laughs> well, that's why we all need so much prayer. God sees all this stuff. I'm honest with you. I'm like, God... Hopefully nobody comes tonight. I want to go home. But you know, a couple comes, another couple comes, another, I'm the pastor, I got to be there. And we started to pray, and I have habits. Do you have habits? You know, not all habits are bad. I thank God for the good habits I have. One of the good habits I have is when I pray, I can't pray without first thanking God. And something happens to me when I thank God, I get my eyes off of me and I start to look at him. And what do you think on that Friday night happened? I started to thank God and suddenly my own, um, I like to say in German, my own Einstellung, my own horrible attitude, it just struck me. And I was ashamed. Boy, you came in here. We're, we're in the presence of God. We're praying for our nation and for the people of God. And for there are so many nations, so many families and people that have needs. And we're here praying. What a privilege. And I felt like this big. And suddenly the Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, go sit down. And I sat down right in the front of our church like this. I sat down. And then Jesus says, now this is what I want you to share with the church in September. And I went wait a minute, you want me to get a message for direction for the church with my rotten attitude? And it was like he didn't even pay attention to it. And it struck me how gracious, how loving, how kind, how patient God is with you and with me. Now, I know your pastor, John, would never be like that. I'm just telling you that so you pray for this, Pastor John. And what he gave me was this little passage of Scripture. And I believe it's going to answer some questions tonight about where we're going. And 
exactly how God brings us there. Well, I think for each Christian, for each congregation, for each situation, it will be something special. But the destination is the same. It's something that Peter said to the people that were awestruck as a notable miracle was done on a man at the gate beautiful. I think most of you know the story in Acts chapter 3. This man was a beggar. Everybody knew him as a beggar. They didn't have no uh, social welfare at that time. And the only way people who were unable to work could make a living is they had a garment that designated that they were legal beggars. In other words, they had no other way to make a, money, uh, uh, make a living. They were at the mercy of the people. And this man was about 40 years old. He was placed at the gate called Beautiful every day. And he would beg alms or beg uh, um, an offering of the people who went in the temple. And Peter and John, the church is brand new, and Peter and John are going in the temple, and the man looked at them as if he would get something from them. And you know the story, Peter looked at him and said, look upon us. And the man thought he was going to get some money, and Peter said, excuse me, we're just starting our ministry, we're broke. Like every preacher begins. But if you're called of God, it doesn't mean you have nothing. You might not have money. But Peter said, look on us. That which we have, we give unto thee. And he reached out, grabbed the man and said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. The man was healed. A crowd was gathered in the temple because everybody knew this man. He had been laid there daily. He's 40 years old. It's been decades that he's been begging there. And he's healed. All this crowd gathers and Peter begins to preach. And he says this, and this is what I want you to look at with me. Verse 19, they ask, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God had spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world Began. Now there are four things here I want you to look at with me tonight. The first thing is, he said to repent. Now I know in the context he was talking about people who had not yet come to Christ. But you know, the more I looked at the scripture, the more I realized that repentance is much more for us as a believer, a lifestyle than just a one-time decision, I prayed, asked Jesus into my life, and that was the end of the story. No, it's just like getting filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't get filled with the Holy Ghost, somebody lays their hands on you, or you ask Jesus to fill you with the Holy Ghost, and that's the end of the story. No. The book of Ephesians says, and be being filled, constantly filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got to learn to pray in the Spirit, and sing psalms, and worship God, and pray, and open your heart to God, to be constantly renewed in the Holy Ghost. And just like you got saved, now the word repentance, most of you know, and for those who don't, it literally means, not a bad feeling, it means to turn around, to turn around. Now that's the most important turnaround you can ever do is when you hear the gospel and you say, wait a minute, I've been going one way 
I hear the gospel. I realize I need God's grace. I open my life. I turn from the way I've been going and I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and give me a new life. Show me a new way. Matter of fact, the early church, before it was called the church, was called the way. It was called the way. And you see, I've realized that repentance needs to become a lifestyle for us. That doesn't mean condemnation. Don't confuse the word repentance with condemning. What I mean is this. Repentance as a lifestyle is simply a life of reflection. What am I doing and why am I doing it this way now? Does that make sense to you? Because we all see things in part. Paul said it's like we're looking into a mirror and it's a little hazy. None of us has got the perfect picture. We live in an imperfect world. We are imperfect people with a perfect God. The word of God is perfect. The word of God is alive and active, transforming us. But we are in a process of God pulling something out and renewing and changing and bringing something forth that only he has in his design. You became a new creature in Christ when you said, Jesus, come into my heart. And that new creature is constantly being remodeled and being developed and being strengthened and being matured. Paul said, put on Christ daily. Paul said, I die daily. I lay that old man down. I make a decision daily to put on Christ. And that to me is a lifestyle of repentance. It's a lifestyle of reflection. Now, most of us, let's be honest, in the church, in this charismatic Pentecostal world, hallelujah, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking Christians, we don't reflect. We don't reflect. We just keep doing the same old, same old. You know what they define insanity as? (laughs) Doing the same thing all the time, but expecting a different result. That's nuts. You keep doing the same thing all the time, but you're somehow expecting it's going to give different results. And Jesus wants us to constructively reflect. Now, I have to thank my German brothers and sisters. They are constructive, critical people. (laughs) These two know. (laughs) They grew up there. I could not come with the one-liners I had written down from my favorite preachers in America and preach that in German. It did not fly. Because Germans, when they hear a sentence, they think, well, if that's true, what about this? And what about that? And, what about... and they look at everything from 15 angles. And if you don't have all the 15 angles worked out before you said it, you better, you better just keep your mouth shut. You will get nasty letters about what the Hebrew and the Greek and what somebody said that somebody said. It forced me years ago to be positively critical with my understanding of the word. Why do I believe what I believe? Because Pastor Sam said it? Because Brother Hagin said it? No, because I know 
what Jesus said, what his word said, what he spoke to my heart, what I've experienced in my life. I know in whom I believe. The most Christians are trying to figure out what they believe. You need to find out in whom you believe. So the very first thing we need to see here is a life of reflection. Now, can I give you an example of this? We don't have time to study it in depth. But you know, a lot of times we Christians, we're we're no different than the nation of Israel was in the old covenant. We have so many more benefits. We have a better covenant based on better promises. We got the Holy Spirit. But we're still humans. And we still do the same stupid things. David, in, in, you can read it in First Chronicles chapter 13. David had a desire to bring the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the manifestation of God's presence in the nation of Israel into Jerusalem. And you know what he did? He thought, well, if we're going to do this, we are going to throw the biggest party you've ever seen. He got all the musicians together. He had a brand new cart built because the ark was like a wooden box. And in it was the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and, and, and symbols of Israel of knowing what God had done for them. And they knew this represents the very presence of God of, uh, in our nation. And David's heart was right. And what does David do? They start to party. And they, they're dancing and they're singing. The Bible says they praised God with all their might. And suddenly something happened. That brand new cart hit a rock. It started to tilt. And somebody put their hand on that box. But that box is not just a box. That is the dwelling place of God's presence. And the second he touched that box, he died. David was appalled. How can this be? I wanted to do the right thing. And so he let that cart go to the home of Ebediah. I think his name is something like that. And God blessed him three months. And that blessing aggravated David. He thought, I wanted to do the right thing. And God got mad at me. And it didn't work out the way I wanted it to be. Now, I don't know if I'm reading anybody's mail here. We've all been there someplace, sometime. But you know what David did? That blessing maybe got him angry at first, but it got him to reflect. And he did something radical. He went back to the book. What did God say about moving the ark? And then he read, oh, we're not supposed to put it on a cart. We're not even supposed to touch it. Only the Levites are to carry it on poles. Three Levites on each side and they're to carry it on their shoulders. And David said, wait a minute. God's not mad at us. We messed up. You see, if you don't reflect, you'll never come to a place where you learn from what went wrong. You'll just be mad. You'll be mad at the pastor. You'll be mad at the elders. You'll be mad at the music ministry. You'll be mad at Jesus. Oh, I wouldn't be in doubt. Don't talk to me like that. You'll be just like me on the Friday night. I don't want to be here, but I'm here anyway. As if God's impressed with us. I want to kick me out of the church. Thank God I'm not Jesus. <laughs> 
He just laughed at it. He has seen this so often. But David's actions inspired me. We need to have a lifestyle of constantly refracting. Because when God starts to bless, you know what we want to do? We want to set up camp. It's so typical. You know the story. Most of you know it. Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And there suddenly Jesus is transformed in all his glory. And they see Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, and they're afraid. He says, God, Lord, it's good we're in this place. Maybe we should build an altar. One to you, one to Moses, one to Elijah. And Jesus says, excuse me, Peter, stand up. We've got to go down the valley. See, when God blesses, we want to stay there. We want to keep that moment. Those moments are precious, and we need those moments. And God gives us those moments, but they're for a purpose. Peter, we got to go down to the valley. That's where the people are. That's where people with needs are. That's where those who've never heard the gospel are waiting for you to come. And we'll never go if we don't reflect. We'll just be busy building what we do within our four walls, and the world will never even know we came and went. We need to make a mark in our generation. There's not another FCC that can do the job that this FCC is called to do in this part of the world. It's not going to happen. And if you and I, who are called to be here, don't get on our knees and reflect and ask God, what do you want to do today? And don't keep telling me about what was. Yeah, we get encouragement from what was. We learn from what was. But what was is over. What is? What is he saying today? Repent. Turn around. Reflect. Look at the next thing. What happens? This, This is where I felt I should also do the worship tonight. Were you blessed tonight as we were doing the worship? I know it was a little bit different. And I know this whole year it's been a different time of praise and worship. And it's, there's something going on in this area. But look at what the purpose is. If we'll reflect, if we'll be daring to ask the questions, what are we doing now and why are we doing? God, what's your plan for this moment? Look what happens. Repent. So when the times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. Who doesn't need a time of refreshing? Let me ask it this way. Who needs a time of refreshing? I'll put both hands up. Did you hear where the times of refreshing come? Not on Waikiki. Not in the Bermudas. It's nice to take vacation. Believe me, I live in the country that are the professional vacation takers. When you get a job in Germany, the minimum that you're allowed to have of vacation, paid vacation days is 26 days. That's by law. That's not including holidays. There's 14 paid holidays. That's 40 work days in a year. Do the math. That's three months. Ah! When you have employers, employees, then, you know, you go, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do this? But those are the rules. Germans love to vacation. I've kind of gotten used to it, if you really want to know the truth. It's kind of nice. <laughs> but that's not going to refresh you. Take 
taking a break gives you a different perspective. You need to take a break physically, yes, no question about it. You just can't work, work, work. You work yourself to death. That's stupid. But true refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. Can I read to you a few things I wrote down about the presence of the Lord? You can just listen to this. Psalm 1611. In thy presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Psalm 140, verse 13. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. Hmm. I believe God desires to quicken us in a way we've not experienced for the job that lies ahead. I believe we are living in very, very dangerous times, perilous times, Paul. Paul called them perilous times, unsure times. The world is like a powder keg ready to go off. When you look at what's going on in the Middle East, when you look at what's happening in the Arab world, when you look at the fear and the destruction, and it's not getting better. But see, we know where this whole thing's going. And you know, to be honest with you, that should excite us and inspire us more than anything. Because we got a job to do. It's not as well that one should perish. And if people don't hear the gospel, we're at fault. Right now, as I'm standing here, Stefan, who has worked with me for 26 years with one of his sons, is in Pakistan preaching the gospel with a life threat from the Al-Qaeda. Two weeks ago, Al-Qaeda wrote a letter to the organization with whom we've been working with in Pakistan. They went anyway. And we're trusting God to protect them supernaturally. But those are not things to be taken lightly. It's the world we live in. So it's easy to say hallelujah in Seekonk. Are you going to say hallelujah when God says go to Pakistan? Or when God says go to your neighbor? Yeah, but I don't like my neighbor. See, that's the point. That's exactly the point. It's not about what you like. It's about where God wants you to be. And you won't have the strength to be in that uncomfortable place that maybe you need to be in so God can do something through you that if you weren't there, it would never happen if you don't experience times of refreshing. And times of refreshing come from his presence. Now, his presence, you can experience when you're alone. You can experience him when you pray. He's there. You can experience him when you study the word and you sense his presence and he's speaking to you. But there's something supernatural about corporate worship and prayer that we have not really tapped into. I was so excited on Sunday. The youth band was, a part of the youth band was doing the worship. And they did that song from a band called Delirious. I ministered at their home church. 
in, in England. And um, the song is very honest. Um, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'm sorry for what I made it. Because it's all about, what, what, you know what that song's about? It's about the Christian contemporary music scene becoming as secular as the secular music scene. And suddenly you start off being innocent and worshiping God. And apparently whoever wrote that song, one of the members of Delarius, repented. He reflected. What am I doing? I'm living the life of a rock star. Is that what Jesus wanted me to do? Now thank God for the popularity. Thank God for all the people they can touch. I'm not against all that. But it's a fine line between performance and worship. You know, the Bible says play skillfully. I, I've seen the other extreme. Play as horrible as you can play because then it must be God. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> On the 6th or the 13th of June, this year I celebrated 50 years of when I first had my first guitar lesson. 50 years. And do you know I still practice to this day? You would think 50 years, it's about time to learn that thing. <laughs> Play skillfully unto the Lord. Do you give God your best? But always be careful. Am I performing? Is it about me and what I'm doing right now? Or is it about Jesus? The worship members here, the singers and the musicians, especially those here in this house. Listen to what I'm saying tonight. Since 2007, I started to work with our worship band. I don't lead the worship band. Yeah, but you're the pastor. No, 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 no. God gave us a wonderful, anointed young lady that does the worship. She's not a musician. I help her. I am a musician. I can take things she wants to do and transform them into musical sense. But she knows the spirit of God. And when I'm, doing, when I'm playing in the worship team, guess what I'm doing? I'm supporting her. And it's amazing. It's amazing. She'll look at me like, you know, those moments where you know you need to do another song. What are you going to do? And I always say, just go for it. And she does exactly the song I would have done. I don't have to say anything. What a wonderful experience. And, and every one of them they have great voices, great musicians. But God continues to pull us back to reflect. Why are you doing it? We need to heed this word tonight. That what we do needs to reflect his heart and help the congregation be in his presence. So we can experience times of refreshing. Now, here is God's design. What does he want to do? The next sentence. The next sentence is, after refreshing, we will experience restoration. What did it say here? The restitution. Well, that word means restoration of all things. Say all things. Of all things which the God has spoken by the mouths of the holy prophets since the world began. So we're talking from Adam's creation all the way up until the resurrection. Anything God ever said he would do for humanity must be fulfilled. Amen. 
And some of that has to do with me and you. He's coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. How is he going to do that? Especially when the pastors on Friday nights don't even want to be there for prayer. He's able. He is more than able. But his design is that we would reflect Come in his presence. Let him refresh us and let God begin to restore what we don't even know we've lost. There are three areas restoration needs to happen. It needs to happen in divine authority, divine power, and in godly character. Did you hear that? God will restore in our generation his power, his presence, and his character within us. And see, we cannot do that in ourselves. We're not good enough. We can't make it happen. Think about what Jesus said. If you believe in me, how many believe in Jesus tonight? Let me see, because I want to see what I need to pray for. Some of you went like this. Now, do you believe in Jesus? All right, you're in trouble now. He said, if you believe in me, the works that I do shall you do also. When was the last time you saw yourself doing the works he did? His design is that that word will be accomplished in your life and my life. Because we believe in him. It's him doing the works, not we doing the works. But we need to, number one, live a life of reflection or repentance. Number two, we need to learn to find out what it means to be in his presence. You know, I'll be honest with you. We get so locked into four songs, greeting, announcements, message, do a song. Thank you. We'll see you next week. I'm not... Pointing any fingers because I have to point them here. It's a formula that works rather well. But you know, I found that in the last year, we've had to make a lot of room for the unexpected. Now, it takes a lot of wisdom. Do I, I, do I have five minutes? Five minutes. Give me five minutes. Who gives me five? There's five, there's ten, there's fifteen, there's twenty. <laughs> Oh, that's mean, huh? That's pretty mean. Here's the difficulty we have. I'm responsible as a senior pastor for my baby ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry. And in our church, we have seven services going on at the same time. You have grade school, you have the preschoolers, you have the teens, you have the teenagers, you have the young adults, and you have the congregation. So all that's happening at the same time. You have as many as 40, 60, 80 workers. You have families, you have all these people, and they're depending because they're entrusting to you on that Sunday morning the most valuable thing they have, their time. And... We live in a very stressy world. And I know if I abuse that time, I'll lose their confidence. At the same time, I know there's unexpected things God wants to do. So I am in a constant state of having to really listen. 
And you know what? God is such a gentleman. Every Sunday doesn't go six hours. Do you know most Sundays go 90 to 95 minutes, even with the unexpected? Once in a great while, God is so present. And I, I'll, I'll end the service say, you know, God's moving, but I know if you've got to go and you've got kids and you've got things to do, people don't leave. And in those moments, I've watched people stay two and a half to three hours on a Sunday. And I realize how hungry people's hearts are. So we have a difficult job. It's not always easy to make room for the unexpected because a four-hour service is not what God's looking for. You know, most of Jesus' sermons, they were four sentences. <laughs> Makes me mad. I work all week on a sermon, and Jesus just like, well, the kingdom of God is like a man who takes a seed, plants it in the ground, and he, the farmer goes to bed, and he doesn't even know how it grows, and it grows. <laughs> and then he just walks on. There is coming a restoration of power, authority, and character. But this can only be established by God himself through his presence. The danger we face, it's within our own human nature and human makeup to always think we have to make this happen by doing something we think is spiritual. That's the danger. And that's when we become super spiritual. It doesn't help anybody. We just need to be honest. Open our hearts before God like we were attempting to do tonight. Worship Him. Now what's that going to do? The very last thing. Then, whom the heavens must receive, that word must receive literally means hold back. Jesus is being held back until the restitution or restoration of all things which God has ever spoken. Then he will come for his church. See, we don't talk about the return of Christ anymore. We're more worried about the stock market. We're more worried about what they're going to do in Washington. The early church lived with an expectancy of the return of Christ. But we become sophisticated. It's time to repent. It's time to reflect. It's time to get in his presence. It's time to let God be God and restore what only he can do. And it's time we begin to expect that Jesus is coming for his church. I just want to be found ready. I just, you know what ready is? Not having the biggest church and the biggest business and the ready is being in the place he wants you to be doing what he asked you to do. That's all. That's all. If you're there where God wants you to be, forget what everybody else is doing. You be where God wants you to be doing what God wants you to do and don't worry, everything else he'll take care of. I personally believe, and I know for me, this is the message I will be teaching from September through October all the way into November. 
I've given you the short version tonight. I only have one shot. But I personally believe if we'll take to heart what Peter prophetically gave the church, reflect. As we repent, turn around, think. Refresh through the presence of the Lord. Let God restore what only he can restore. And I expect the return, I believe, will accomplish what God has called us to accomplish for our generation. So, if you felt in your heart discomforted, disquieted, unsatisfied, well, begin to repent. And I don't mean, oh, feel so bad. No, I mean reflect. Reflect. What are we, why am I doing what I'm doing? See, you can become just like I was two weeks ago. You just do things because you know you're expected to do them. You come because you pray because you know you got to be. Now that's not the right attitude. What's amazing is Jesus doesn't get nervous. He, he loves us. But you're not going to help anybody and you're not going to help yourself. Begin to ask yourself, what am I doing? When I come on Sunday morning, am I expecting anything? Am I expecting God to speak to me? Or am I just coming because I know I'm Christian, I have to come to church? When I read my Bible in the morning, do I expect that something's going to jump out and God's going to speak a word? You should have been inside me when I sat down and he, he spoke what I said to you in about an instant of time. I knew, exact, I knew the chapter, I knew the verse, I knew exactly what he was saying. Boom! And the only thing I could think of was, you idiot, he knows what attitude you had when you came in here. And instead of giving me a slap along the head, he says, here, this is the next direction for the church. It's a very life-changing moment for me. And I couldn't help but thank him. And it made me realize we need to be expectant of his presence, but also of his return. The early church was always looking. Let's get back there. They understood something. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. As I asked in the beginning of the service, I trust that you have placed in my heart and in my mouth the the thoughts and the words you wanted to give to this congregation. I ask that you take it and make it life to everyone here. I ask that the leaders of this church would be encouraged Everybody in the staff, everybody who's a part of a co-worker in this church in any capacity, working with children, working with youth, working as a greeter and an usher and whatever capacity and behind the scenes in the office. Father, I ask that a true heart of reflectancy and turning around and, and seeking you personally and collectively about what's happening today would happen. And not a judgmental, not a critical, anybody can point the finger, but a lovingly 
heartfelt, I want to be there, God, where you want me to be. I want to be doing, God, what you want me to do. That that attitude would permeate this house. And I pray that whoever, however, whatever form the praise and worship happens, that we're always aware that you are the God that inhabits the praises of your people. And that you come into this congregation and you take preeminence over the atmosphere. As you walk through the aisles, you're the God that walks through the church. And you hold those leaders in your hands as you show, show John. And that you would take us and mold us and shape us and give us direction. Help us to see what we've not seen before. And Father, I ask that you would once again put within us an expectancy of the return of the great king. The king of kings and lord of lords. George Lucas couldn't figure it out. Couldn't make a movie more exciting. You had this plan before the foundations of the earth. That you would split the skies. And in a moment of the eye, we would be caught together, we who are alive in Christ, and meet you with all believers in the clouds. Be transformed and forever be with you. That the church would once again understand this great mystery that you revealed in your word. And that we would have the hope of your expectancy. And that we would be expectant, knowing our God reigns. Father, I thank you that you accomplish your plan and purpose for our generation. I pray for everyone that sensed discouragement and sensed a changing and didn't know how to organize and didn't know what to do with it. I ask you to bring peace through the word tonight and understanding and move this congregation as one man in one direction for your purpose and for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.